This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Have your say. 1300 Joy 949. Gay. Gay. News. News. Week. Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Joy. Joy 94.9. A very good evening to you and welcome to Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Tonight you are joined by... Katie Larson. Jeffrey Devine. And myself, Matt Thompson. Here at Gay News Week we aim to cover topics that have been in the news over the past week and how they impact you, us and our community. And tonight we're going to be covering a whole raft of topics. We're going to be talking about Youth Homelessness Matters Day. We're going to be talking about some trans films that have been made to raise trans awareness, uh, which we're in favour of here at Gay News Week. Hmm. We're going to do our national affairs and... uh, International Affairs Roundup, and we're going to be chatting about a whole heap of other stuff along the way. And if at any time you want to get in touch with us, this is how you would do so. You're listening to the Gay Newsweek podcast with Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt. Get in touch. Email gaynewsweek at joy.org.au or check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links to our social media pages. Margaret Thatcher has passed away at the age of 87 after some uh, debilitating degenerative uh, age-related conditions. Yeah. Um, Now, this is the story that's been all over the news. Mm. She's passed away. Now, what is her legacy and what does that mean for our community? It actually has quite a direct relation to our community because, of course, um, during her leadership, um, the the first thing she did uh, was uh, make steps towards uh, decriminalising homosexuality. She was the one in Britain that did that. There's Mm. there's always those leaders around the the world that um, that have that as their legacy, and Margaret was one of them. And that was in her earlier days, yes, before she became Prime Minister, as I understand it. (laughs) And everything went a bit downhill. Yeah, it it wasn't. (laughs) a a way of behaving that carried on later. What Mm. happened after that, Matt? After that, when she, uh, during her um, (laughs) reign, um, (laughs) she she was responsible for introducing what was called the Section 28 legislation, where basically that meant um, that it was was a ban on promoting homosexuality through materials in schools. It it was was something that's throughout the years has kind of obviously led led off and, and gone away. But at the same time, it was something that was very oppressing at the time. So essentially you weren't allowed to uh, promote positively uh, any aspect of homosexual life to children in uh, presumably public schools. Exactly. And not only that, if, if you know, she's also uh, the one that brought down the unions, uh, dismantled social welfare, and um, it was also very much known for the role of Britain in the 1982 war with Argentina and the Falkland Islands. It's, it's been an interesting one the last couple of days because I, I think... Um, you know, certainly in Australia, in, in terms of the media coverage I've been looking at, I think there's almost an element of nostalgia that is being used to talk about this when actually we're talking about someone who was um, a pretty divisive leader and also uh, 
you know, uh, without it being particularly sophisticated, didn't do a lot of amazing things from a social justice perspective. She certainly did not. And I think we need to recognise who she was and what she did in that context and not to romanticise the past. Mm. And I think we do that a little bit because we are so far away and most of the people that live here in Australia didn't live through Mm. her reforms and through um, Mm. her period of government. And I think the harshness of that from a social perspective was probably without parallel uh, since probably the World War II, really. Absolutely. And it's certainly been played out in the UK of sort of a bit of the ding-dongs going on on the the internet and also um, celebrations of her passing, which is probably the other other extreme as well. That Mm. said, there's a lot of people that they've had uh, just in the snippets on the news broadcasts that have been very uh, critical of her. So some of Mm. that uh, alternate message has been getting Mm. out. Yep. Something interesting to note also in the UK is uh, Britain's Queen Elizabeth will actually lead mourners at the funeral of Margaret Thatcher. Um, it's the first time the monarch will attend the ceremony of one of her former prime ministers um, since Winston Churchill in 1965. Mm. Remembering this Queen's been around a while and she's yes. seen quite a few prime ministers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, you're on Gay News Week. We'll have more in a moment. Listen at work, on the treadmill, or even on the toilet. The new Joy app on your iPhone. The new Joy app on your iPhone. Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. Yes, it's Gay News Week this evening uh, with Matt, Jeffrey, and Katie. Yes, indeed. And uh, it's Youth Homelessness Matters Day today. That's right. And tonight, 26,000 Australians under the age of 25 don't have a place to call home. As you said, Katie, today is Youth Homelessness Matters Day. And in the studio this evening, we're joined by Ben from the Council to Homeless Persons. Ben, welcome to Gay News Week. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me in the studio. Now, Ben, first off, tell us what is Youth Homelessness Matters Day? Yeah, well, uh, tonight marks the Youth Homeless Matters Day campaign and it's asking every Australian in the population to go without their bed by sleeping at a friend's house, on the couch or in their car, just in solidarity for the thousands of young people without safe, stable accommodation. So how many people have you actually got taking part in that tonight? Um, Well, hopefully we're matching the 26,000 out there. Um, So hopefully, yeah, we get the 26,000 participants Cool. And um, is it an ongoing campaign? So obviously tonight a lot of people are taking on on board to sleep on a couch or do something different. But over the course of the year, it's something that you're trying to advocate for continually? Yeah, definitely. I mean, part of my job as a PEST member um, is is to really make the community um, aware of what what homelessness is about and taking that stigma out of, uh, you know, what homelessness is, you know, roughly in a park. And you just said um, you're a PEST member. Yes. So can you tell what PESP is? Uh, yeah, it's a peer education support program, which is a volunteer program, and it gives people like myself the opportunity to really voice my opinion and to use my experience uh, to help people in this situation. So... Um why do we need to t- we'll talk about young people specifically when we talk about homeless? Why, homelessness? Sure. Why is it mm. so important? I think, you know, a, a lot of young people don't have anywhere to pl- uh, call home. It's a, you know, it's, it really comes down to having security, that safe, affordable accommodation, um, just in general, um, having a roof over your head that you can call home. Tell us a little bit about why this is an issue that you're passionate about and what your history is with this. Yeah, sure. Um, well, obviously experiencing homelessness myself, um, you know, being out, out there on the streets, you know, you there's a lot of things going on that, you know, a lot of people in the community don't obviously or see, recognise, um, you know, which is a really big uh, big part of being homelessness. You, you face a lot of um, fears, a lot of um, discrimination. Ben, you're... You're 29 years old. Yep. Um, you identify as gay. Yep. Uh, now, it was a couple of years ago that you found yourself out on the streets. Yep. 
How did how did that happen? Well, um, you know, I come from a well-educated family with you know a few careers under my belt, mm-hmm. and it sort of really shows me that you know it can happen to anyone. Um, obviously, sort of having a few uh, drug and alcohol issues, um, yeah, and just really, um, yeah, it can happen to anyone, pretty much. See, that, that's the link that a lot of people make is that um, home, homelessness only happens to people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, and it's really interesting to note that, as you said, it really can happen to anybody. It's 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 not something that that you're destined to happen or anything like that. Yeah, that's right, Matt. Um, You know, it it can happen to anyone from any background, from any ethnic race, um, with any religious or belief values. Um, You know, it just really shows you that it can turn around and, you know, um, be present in your everyday life. I'm reading through some of the background information and it talks about uh, lack of inclusion and lack of services available for people that identify as GLBTIQ Mm. who happen to be homeless. What was your experience of that? Um, Well, yeah, I mean, obviously in Victoria, I found myself that there isn't a lot of um, gay, lesbian uh, refuges, especially having that safe accommodation for, um, you know, gay and lesbian community. It's really important. Um, You know, obviously there's a lot of men's shelters and refuges, but um, personally, I've experienced uh, in a men's shelter of 64 of influx of whoever. And so, when you say 64, that's um, that's 64 people or men who are older. Or how did how did how did you come to be there? Yeah, it sort of varies. Actually, um, I got referred because uh, being on the streets for a while, um, you know, I needed somewhere to stay. It was you know um, sleeping rough, you know, eating out of bins, um, you know, just really things that I wouldn't even consider you know um, being a part of my life. But it happened, and so I think you know addressing it. And um, yeah, making a decision to you know sort of end my sort of situation, I suppose. It certainly has been described that discrimination is institutionalised, and a lot of the organisations have really bad policies with mm. regards to homelessness. So it's not just about the fact that you wouldn't necessarily feel safe coming out to the people around you, but it's that the organisations aren't set up for LGBTIQ community members. What, how did you get through that? How did you manage to negotiate that? Well, I think, you know, it's really important to be able to identify as, you know, gay or lesbian and be quite proud of that. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, having um, a community around that um, through, you know, various organisations um, like... Uh, the rooms NA and AA. Yep. Um, you know, that's been a really big part of my recovery um, thus far and today. Um, you know, just having that, um, being able to identify with older, younger, um, in-between gay men that are clean and sober, um, which has, you know, helped me, you know, greatly. So that was part of your story, Ben. So you, you used to live in Perth yep. and um, and you came over to Melbourne. You came over to Melbourne for work? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a bit of opportunity. Yeah, and then you found yourself here um how long was it before you found that you, you didn't have a place to live? Was it pretty much... Pretty much, um, yeah, instant. As soon as the plane landed, it sort of um, <laughs> seemed like this impending doom and yeah, right. um, everything sort of really started to unravel and, um, you know, it became uh, quite apparent to me, you know, that this is sort of my journey um, at that point in time. Mm. And your, um, your reco- you also had some drug and alcohol issues, is yep, that sure. right? Yep. So um, that would have made it really difficult when yeah. you're out on the street as yeah, well. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, not being able to sort of get the right support um, with, you know, our surrounding drug and alcohol issues and mental illness, um, you know, it's a, it's a vital, I think. Mm. And certainly um, 
as I read through some of the stuff, you know, it's just shocking the, that the organisations aren't set up. And just to read a couple of quotes, a considerable number of service providers cite peer acceptance, discrimination and homophobia as challenges. Uh, half the service providers were unable to say that they had specific practices and policies around mm. GLBTI youth. And a third of them had no policy statements at all in a sector that's meant to be community-based. I'm just astounded by that. I think it's one of the really interesting aspects of this. I think a lot of young people, we know the numbers are higher than proportion. 25% of yeah. people that are, are homeless are said to be uh, from the GLBTI community. From the ones that are actually identifying. Yeah. And then we don't even know what the numbers are. I think part of the issue with this is actually that young people don't feel supported. I mean, we're talking about some people who are 15, 16 years old, perhaps or even younger. younger. Yeah, you know, and they're, you know, they may not feel safe enough to say that's how they identify. They may not even be in a place where that's fully how they identify. They might not know yet. Yeah, this is right. And it doesn't mean those issues aren't affecting them at home. It doesn't mean they're not being called names. It doesn't mean they're not being bullied. But if they're not able to come out, then I guess a defence could be that you can't then provide services without knowing that the issue is there. But I think it's a tenuous defence. Well, I think that's where it comes in with a lot of consumer participation. Obviously, us, um, you know, uh, feeding back to services, you know, what can be, um, you know, better looked at, um, especially in this sort of area as well. Mm. Ben, with such large numbers of representation in the GLBTI community when it comes to homelessness, homelessness, sorry, um, (laughs) are there any actual organisations dedicated to actually focusing and helping out people in the GLBTI community when it comes to homelessness? Um, Well, it's sort of a bit of a grey area, to tell you the truth, Matt. Um, You know, just in Victoria, I found myself, there wasn't really a lot of um, GBIT, um, you know, services out there for um, for us to, you know, um, to access, really. Um, You know, there's a few um, uh, entry points. Um, One, particularly for the listeners out there, is um, Open Doors an entry supported service um, where you can be directed to your appropriate service and um, it's a 1800 number um, it's one eight hundred eight two five nine double five, and I really um, urge to the listeners, you know, if you're going through something like this and you don't know what to do or who to talk to, you know, they're a really great service one of the things you were saying to us earlier, Ben, was that in um, you spent about six months actually sleeping on the street. So we're not talking yeah. couch surfing or a boarding no, house no. or um, short-term accommodation. It was actually on the streets. Yeah, that's correct. And in many cases, you found that to be safer and more supportive than to be in a boarding house per se or yeah, something for that sure, you might. But, and why was that? Um, I think you know, um, being on the streets, you sort of have this sort of code of uh, code of uh, yeah conduct, I suppose. You yeah. know, the the community um, really looks after each other. And we sort of support each other and you sort of have you can identify with you know the people out there and yeah, to tell you the truth I did feel a lot safer sometimes as opposed to being in a men's shelter mm. with 64 people um, you know you do feel safer under a bridge or in the back of someone's car mm. which is astounding it just shows that there is a really a lack of, of support there when it comes to those issues the, the fact that you would actually prefer to be on the streets and be in kind of these support shelters or or within these systems yeah for sure Matt it's it's um, it's, it's unreal sort of um, feeling I suppose it's a uh, feeling of you know sense of security and sometimes yeah you do feel safer by yourself um, under a bridge to tell you the truth mm. which can be isolating at times I can imagine so yeah, you, for sure. uh, because you need that support in place to actually feel like a commu- uh, as part of a community and yeah, it'd be incredib- it would be a, an incredibly isolating experience yeah for sure you sort of feel like a lone ranger in a lot of ways um, mm. you know it's up to mm. yourself to be accountable at mm. the end of the day yeah and one of the things about uh, mainstream uh, services and housing options is that 
The homeless community has a large representation of people with drug and alcohol uh, dependencies and issues mm. and withdrawals sure. and mental health issues and mm. often all of those things uh, at once. And so they're not conducively safe places, a lot of the hostels uh, and support services, because there is a propensity to people that have problems being in them. That, mm. um, That's it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it does make you a lot more vulnerable, um, definitely mm. being in that sort of situation mm. um, where you sort of have no control over what is going to happen. Um, you can't really anticipate what's going to happen on a daily basis. It's a pretty amazing story, Ben, to find yourself on the streets at 27 and to have those two years without any supported accommodation. How did you get back on two feet and into what you're doing now, which is pretty amazing? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I'm quite happy to um, talk about, you know, I've, I've went through... Um, two lots of rehab and detox which I accessed and um, that was just a great starting point and a real foundation for my recovery um, mm. today um, it's you know it's been it's a very hard journey um, but you know it's taught me to be really resilient and to access supports when needed now and um, just options the peer support program uh, that you're a part of uh, is something the peer support model has been around mm. a bit and been used by particularly the gay community sure. over years particularly around HIV and uh, bathhouses and sauna culture and all of those sorts of things sure. what's the idea and the reason that you think it will work in this particular model with homelessness well I think um, people like myself having the opportunity to voice um, an opinion and voice mm. um, just um, anything really and ed really educate the community that it's, it's a big problem and it needs to be addressed and it's just going to get bigger and better um, as the years go on and we really need to home in on um, you know services and providing you know this service for homeless people. So what would you what would primarily what would you like to see change? What is it that you're, you're in uh, PESP to do? What, what do you want well, to see happen? Yeah to share my experience with some um, the young, the youth, um, whether it's um, you're gay, lesbian or um, you know, straight, it doesn't matter who you are, you've, you've got an option to have that freedom at the end of the day to be safe and to have that accommodation. It is a National Homeless Youth Homelessness Matters Day, I think that was right. No? Yes. That's right. Um, yeah, so a lot of people are doing something different tonight, sleeping on a couch, sleeping outside to raise awareness of issues of homelessness particularly for young people. Ben, thank you very much for joining us on Gay News Week. Great, thank you guys. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. It's Gay News Week this evening with Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt. Being true to ourselves is a new project by an organisation called Agenda Agenda. We are joined on the line by Executive Di Director Peter Hindle, who's going to tell us about this collection of digital stories that have been made by local transgender people in the ACT. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me. First off, we just uh, want to get a bit of background on who, who are Agenda Agenda. Uh, uh, we're an organisation that works with intersex, trans and gender diverse people. We've been operating in the ACT for the last 10 years um, and um, I think we're a bit different from some other organisations who kind of work in that space because we have a fairly broad, inclusive kind of human rights based framework to the work that we do. Okay. And this this new project, uh, being true to ourselves, can you? It's a launch of short films that it's made by. That so they're all local transgender community members. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so we've been working on on this since July uh, last year. Um, we've got a fairly engaged and active community of trans, intersex, and gender diverse people in Canberra, which is hmm. something we've been working at for many years. So finding participants for the project was actually um, incredibly easy. 
Uh, so we've got seven seven um, people from from the Canberra region who have each um, completely taken carriage with no prior experience, um, completely taken carriage of developing every aspect and producing um, a short three minute film. Um, one of the things that we were really proud of um, was that we didn't really provide participants with much direction. We just said it has to be something about your experience of being trans or gender diverse um, and and left them to it. And I think the, the quality of the films that have been produced and the diversity both in terms of direct content matter but also a diversity of views about gender and um, people's relationship to it is really something um, so these special. these stories tell about the courage that it takes to explore who you really are the determination needed to overcome adversity and the very human need to belong and be accepted so there's the seven films and you gave them the brief as i understand it to identify develop uh, and produce their own story so it's a very independent and different way of going about coming up with this collection yeah, I mean, we each person had complete autonomy over their story, but there were components of the project that were also about, you know, community building and building connections between those participants. So it wasn't done completely in isolation, uh, but certainly um, everyone had absolute autonomy over over their story and the images that they created to to go with it. So obviously, these stories are going to be very unique in in, in each case. What, what what kind of issues come up through through these stories that that are being explored um, through the short films? Yeah, there's, as I said, there's a really, really big range. So um, there's there's one story that is, I guess, a fairly kind of traditional take on, you know, the process of transition. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another story that uh, where somebody talks about the experiences of violence and discrimination that they've had that have affected them in different ways because of their gender diversity all the way through their lives. Um, other people talk about, you know... Um, thinking that they found a place to be that feels comfortable and then discovering that maybe it's not quite right and talk about that process of, you know, really trying to discover who it is that they are and how it is that they want to be in the world. So stigma and discrimination for particularly the gender diverse communities is uh, is fairly well documented but I don't think well understood if that makes sense. So we know that it's out there but it's it needs to be explored a bit more. How do you see these films uh, working towards that aim? Look, I think I think what drives most of the stigma and discrimination that um, trans and gender diverse people face on a daily basis is the fact that these issues aren't talked about in the public space very often mm. and when they are spoken about there's not a lot of real direct knowledge about people's lived experiences so that kind of fear and um, stigma and discrimination is is driven from stereotypes that aren't actually accurate so the primary aim of of getting these stories out there is that it's a it's a nice way for the broader community to engage uh, with personal stories that are moving and and touching um, but it's a fairly non-confrontational way for people to just start to explore the issues and start to get a better thing. Peter, when we talk about these issues, we talk a lot about, um, particularly around Melbourne and Sydney. Um, what is the situation of transgender people in Canberra and in the ACT more widely? In terms of stigma and discrimination? Yeah. Look, I, I think it's fairly fairly constant experience. Um, I think there are 
certainly differences between cities and regional areas, mm. but I think you know my sense around the country is that the experience in all the capital cities is roughly the same, and the experience for people in regional areas, regardless of what state or territory they're in, mm-hmm. um, are significantly worse. It's interesting to me that a lot of the information that we do get in this particular field of um, uh, gender-diverse people is around a low volume of people. And I think one of the challenges in this space is that we don't have a large population to study. So we come up with seven films, and I read a study the other day on uh, transgender people where there were 15 participants in a survey of several thousand around GLBTI community. Do you think we need wider scale uh, investigation or do you think this low level individual stories is what's going to make the difference? I guess my first point would be, you know, when you operate from a human rights perspective, it actually doesn't matter how many people there are. Mm. If there's one person affected, it's as big an issue as if there's a much larger number. Um, Secondly, I think... um, in terms of that individual connection in our experience working with with people what we found is that um that personal connection the the um gift of sharing a personal story is actually one of the most um fundamentally effective ways of um changing people's minds and the way that they think about the issues so yeah All right. So I think this is a great initiative that's uh, going forward. I think the movies or films, what are you calling them? Movies, films, vignettes? Um, Short films or digital stories, yes. Okay, digital stories. Movies is a little bit grand. Yeah, no. I like it, after the movies. Yeah, that's what was coming out while I was thinking about it. It sounded a bit huge. Peter, obviously this will be launched in in Canberra. Uh, Is there any way of actually seeing these films from someone from around Australia? Can we see them? Are they going to be online or... How, how do we go about accessing them? Yeah, we have produced a DVD, which is um, going to be launched in, uh, in Canberra on Friday, but Great. will be available um, to whoever wants it. Um, we've done that basically at cost, which mm-hmm. is $10. Cool. Um, we will also be putting them on our website uh, where they can be downloaded free, but um, that won't be happening probably until about June. Um, and we're working at the moment, it's not confirmed yet, but we're working at the moment with the organisers of um, the Health and Difference Conference, which is in Melbourne next week, mm. from yep. Thursday to ah, Saturday. Yes, we're hope- hopeful that we can get a screening at some point around that conference. So, right. Okay, great. So, Peter Hindle from Agenda, Agenda, thank you very much for coming on to talk to us about being true to ourselves and the seven... Uh, mini stories that you're producing and uh, we're looking forward to being able to watch them here in Melbourne. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You're on Gay Newsweek. Gay Radio, online, all the time, joy.org.au. You are on Gay Newsweek. It's Katie, Jeffrey, and Matt with you this evening. Yes, indeed. And now it is time for the National News Roundup. I just made a thing. Oh, it's good. I like it. Anyway. (laughs) First off tonight, we're going to talk about the Logies. I know. Can you believe it? Here (laughs) on Gay Newsweek, we're doing the Logies. But um, Brenna Harding of Puberty Blues, which is a show that ran on Channel 10 last Mm -hmm. year, um, won Best New Up and Coming Actress or something to that effect. We're going to play a grab from the Logies We're first right across the details here. Yes. <laughs> Take a listen. I, I especially have to thank two women, um, my beautiful mothers, 
Vicky and Jackie, um, who have been so incredibly supportive and so wonderful, not just in the past three, you know, in the three months of shooting, but um, in all of my 16 years. Thanks so much, Mum. Now, I don't know if I'm just having a day, but it makes me emotional. Oh, it's, it's, it's really amazing just to be... It's, it's actually really interesting to see that after all these years that somebody can stand up in front of the Logies on national television and, and thank their mums. I yeah, think it's this, awesome. It and do really not good. get bleeped out or cut oh, or yeah. there be a controversy about it. And it not to be been. a political standpoint, but just a 16-year-old standing up and saying thanks thanks to her two mums, which I think is nice. It was just really casual. It was good. Yeah, anyway, Thanks, mums. What else is in the National Bruce? Affairs Roundup, Katie? <laughs> all right. Out of Queensland, there has been further criticism of a survey studying the sexual behaviour of the LGBTI community, um, basically because they went around to all of one venue over the weekend. <laughs> they went to one venue over the weekend to collect their highly representative wide sample That's an issue. of um, gay people. And uh, having been to the Wickham Hotel in Brisbane, mm. which is the venue, and I know we're not meant to talk about specific venues, but mm. it just adds context because it is a predominantly uh, gay male venue. It it's, it's not a very broad venue, and to go on only one night really cheapens uh, the survey. In response to that, some of the people from Queensland Health have said they're going to go to some other venues as well if they can get permission from, <laughs> permission from the venue owners. All right. So not a very good statistical method, I would suggest. We'll just sit tight and wait and see if I can get there, will we? Well, with all of the funding cuts that have gone on around uh, Queensland Health and HIV and what have you, I'd be surprised. Um, if they'll have the money for much. Mm. My next story is uh, quite my favourite. It's Kentucky Fried ah, Content yes. Blocking, uh, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, so obviously Kentucky Fried Chicken offers uh, a free Wi-Fi service in their stores and they're found to be censoring uh, fa- um, sites which are related to, say, gay A little things. bit gay. Anything that's a little bit gay, censored, not allowed. Mm. And um, it's irrespective of what the content is. So a lot of the news sites that are GLBTI uh, sourced... Yep. Um, have been blocked. Whereas the intention of the blocking, according to KFC, was to block inappropriate content for minors, because obviously anyone can go and use their service. So in trying to protect children, they've actually had an unintended consequence. It's quite concerning as well, because health websites like ACOM, which offers a lot of um, um, sexual health mm. information for the same-sex attracted and gender-diverse community, um, that's been blocked as well, With and, and it just comes up with a, a warning, access to this website is not allowed. Mm. You have so, to look at it out when you're not eating your... Although the... Well, which would probably be best anyway. <laughs> um, just saying. Right. Um, anyway, but uh, it, KFC, in their defence, have said that they're looking at their banned uh, sites list to repair it. All right. And just quickly, um, lesson uplifting news. The Tasmania's Shadow Minister for Children has said um, that but even if a same-sex couple happen to be the most loving, caring and involved couple in the world, they still shouldn't be allowed to adopt kids. Oh, absolutely charming, isn't it? Everyone needs a dad, was her line, uh, pretty much. Even though she's a single mum. Well, exactly. All right, that is all for the GLBTI National Affairs Roundup. You're on Joy 94.9. Become a Joy member so we can give you the best shows every day. Call 1300-JOY-949. It's now time for the GLBTI International Affairs Roundup this week on Gay News Week. And, of course, we've got Andrew Potts on the line from Gay Star News to bring it to us. Good evening, Andrew. G'day, Matt. And first off tonight, Andrew, very good news out of France. The Senate has officially approved gay marriage. Uh, that's correct. So the, the French Senate has voted 179 
to 157 in favour of same-sex marriage, um, and that should hopefully be the final vote on that bill. Um, a further component of the bill that still has to be approved will allow same-sex adoption. That could be more controversial, and if uh, that part of the law is challenged, there, there might be a chance for another vote, but as it looks like the issue of same-sex marriage itself has been settled. Um, so once that uh, final adoption issue has been decided by the Parliament, that will go then to the French President to sign. Uh, and once that's uh, happened, it should go into effect. Yes, yeah, certainly the vote uh, was 179 to 157. I would have thought France would have a wider margin on this particular issue than that. That actually sounds fairly close to me. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there were five senators from the, the right-wing union for a popular movement uh, across the floor to vote for it. Oh, yeah. um, okay. And, I mean, I think it comes down to the, the sort of the, the, the margin that the government has there. So oh. it's, it's not an unsurprising vote there. Okay. And moving uh, through other issues, marriage, uh, what's happened uh, in South Africa? Okay, so South Africa has hosted its first traditional uh, same-sex Zulu marriage. Uh, a couple, Tshempo uh, Modisani and Thoba Sithol, both 27, they married in front of 200 guests in a traditional ceremony oh. uh, in KwaZulu Natal. And um, they've uh, they married in the full traditional dress with a traditional ceremony. Mm. Um, so traditionally, Zulus have been quite conservative on the issue, mm-hmm. so it's good to see a change there. Andrew, I was going to say, yeah, that seems a pretty significant change because um, the Zulus are fairly traditional, well, incredibly traditional and incredibly tribal. So um, was this something of a, a surprise move? Where did it come from? Um, I, I didn't see it coming, that's for sure. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, the, the the background of it, I'm not too sure. I, I know both both the men's families are very supporting mm-hmm. um, and obviously same-sex marriage has been legal in South Africa mm. for, for some years now. It has been legal, but they've certainly got a long history of anti-gay violence and the uh, assault level and murder level in that country of uh, gays and lesbians is still very significant. So it's interesting that we're getting both ends of the spectrum in this country. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that family is obviously a very important thing in traditional African families. And so the the couple are saying that they're very keen to to have uh, kids with a surrogate. Certainly. And Andrew, uh, there's a bit of a case of social media coming back to bite a girl in uh, Britain, Britain's first youth crime commissioner. What's happening with her? Okay, so um, Paris Brown uh, is a 17-year-old who was uh, hired by the the Kent Police Force to become the the country's first youth crime commissioner. It was a part-time role that she'd get paid uh, £15,000 a year to do. Which is Um, pretty substantial money for a 17-year-old. Sure, yeah, definitely. Um, So, but unfortunately, after she got the role, uh, she made a a series of homophobic and racist tweets um, (laughs) saying that everyone... on a reality show looked like uh, fags and uh, making comments about illegals who couldn't speak English. Um, And so several politicians, including a Conservative Mm -hmm. MP, Damien uh, Collins, called for her to be fired. Um, So she's quit the role. (laughs) This is staggering to me, Andrew, mainly because, uh, like, how do people not know that what they're putting online Mm -hmm. will be seen, you know, or not think about that process, particularly taking on a role like that? Yeah. And, I mean, the the police have said that... uh, Oh, she also denies that she's racist 
a homophobe. <laughs> so she just put those things up there. Just Coincidentally, it happened by accident. A difficult uh, yeah. argument. She, she put them up with good intentions, of course. Yeah. Um, and the police said that they expected to be hiring a teenager with, you know, all warts and all, but uh, in respect, it may not have been. Mm. Pimples and all, perhaps. <laughs> just a few too many. Um, and interestingly, she is being investigated by the police. I think that's an important part of this story uh, for the things that she's put up. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you often see stories from the UK that almost make your your, your jaw drop mm. that it's taken seriously. I mean, it's very <laughs> common to see stories in the in the British press where it will be, you know, two homophobic sealed uh, gay slurs at a man on a train. Uh, have you seen these boys? Contact mm. police. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I don't think she's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be any real serious legal sanction. Um, but but uh, hate speech is something that the UK is taking very mm. seriously now. All right. And in Singapore, there a gay male partnership there uh, basically went to the High Court to try and scrap the law that bans gay male sex. Yeah, that's right. There have been efforts to try and repeal uh, Singapore's colonial era 377A law, which um, bans sex. It's almost never enforced. Mm. Um, so a gay couple had uh, taken up a challenge to it, um, and unfortunately the judges decided uh, to not go with them. Mm. Um, it's, the issue there is when it's been put before judges, they've tended to say, oh, politicians should do it, and politicians have said, oh, well, you know, it's not enforced, so we don't need to do anything about it. Um, the, the Prime Minister of the country, Lee Sien uh, Lung, he said that it's always been there and I think we just leave it. And that's despite his own father, Lee Kuan Yew, mm. who was the President of the country, oh, sorry, Prime Minister of the country for over 30 years, personally saying that the government should repeal the law and saying that uh, if he had a, a gay uh, uh, grandchild, he'd be happy to accept them. So it's a bit mm. disappointing there. The gay community are going to challenge that. Um, so hopefully a higher court will have a bit more backbone and do something about that. It's interesting they say that um, this is a particularly long-held social norm and change is not widely demanded so they don't really feel the push to to change it. Is that true of Singapore? Is there sort of a lack of, uh, I guess, activism on these issues? Well, I I think that when they say that change is not widely um, demanded, they're talking about heterosexual Singaporeans, not the gay community Mm. there, who have been quite vocal on the issue and there have been several challenges to it. I notice also that this is um, a case that has come out of being charged with having sex in a public toilet. So there is a slightly different skew to it, which I think will take on a level of interest or disdain from the wider community, most likely. That is possible, yes. All right, and the story of the week, if you like. Finish um, with a bang. So we're hoping to go somewhere with this. Something's happened in Montana in their uh, state uh, party, uh, state parliament. What's going on there? Okay, so a Montana state Democrat has taken to social media to say how uh, she had to physically resist punching out one of her Republican colleagues with <laughs> an anti-gay like that comment. <laughs> oh, hey, Katie, something like No, no, share? no, carry on, Andrew. Sorry, carry on. Um, I retract. So, so what, what's happened is, um, um, even though the US Supreme Court uh, has struck down all uh, state uh, bans on gay sex in the US, Michigan has uh, homosexuality a technical felony on its books. 
So no one can actually be prosecuted with it, but it's still sitting there. What does a technical felony mean? Um, Buzzword. It, it, it means that it's technically illegal, but no one can actually prosecute you for it. Right. Because? Because the, the U.S. Uh, government, sorry, the U.S. Supreme Court says it's unconstitutional, so the law can't be enforced. Okay, but it's still there. Okay, yeah. got it. So basically one of her, her colleagues who's openly gay had, had just given an impassioned speech about how that law makes him feel as a, a gay Montanan. And uh, then uh, a Republican uh, representative, Creighton Kearns, got up uh, and gave a big speech about how the Bible says homosexuality is immoral and how the Constitution was written for people with a moral character. Um, and so uh, Montana State Democrat Amanda Curtis, she said she had to physically stop herself from crossing the, the, the parliament floor to punch him out. Um, and then another, another uh, guy got up and made a similar speech. Now, the, the final vote on that, that uh, bill, she expected it to be 98 to 2 because of, she thought those two wackos couldn't count on that many people. But in fact, the vote was 60-38. So a lot of Republicans voted against repealing A few extra wackos, as it turns out. A few out. extra wackos and two people <laughs> went missing in the count. So Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> so there's, there should be a, another, a second reading on that bill uh, today. And hopefully that, that antiquated law will no longer be on the book there and and the Republicans won't have to worry about getting punched out in the past. For the moment. <laughs> yeah. Until they say something stupid. Uh, something else is stupid. Again, and yeah. that's pretty predictable with this particular group of people, but it looks like it's headed in the right direction to get it off the books. Yep. All right, Andrew, thank you very much for bringing us all the latest in international affairs. That was Andrew Potts from Gay Star News. You're on Gay News Week on Joy 94.9. Listen to us right around the nation. Joy 94.9. This is Gay News Week with Jeffrey, Katie and Matt. And I wonder if you out there in Radio Land can hear the alarms going off in the background here. We're not actually burning down so far as we No, know. that's not our building. Ours is much more fun. It goes whoop, whoop. That must be a different building. Anyway, of course it goes whoop, whoop. Yeah. It's my joy. <laughs> It waves its hand in the air and throws glitter. There's whistles and (laughs) screaming. Why are we talking about fire alarms? (laughs) Um, We've had a good show tonight. Um, It's been lots of fun and it's been really interesting to hear from um, people like Ben talking about Youth Homelessness Day, Madison. And it actually really brought it to home for someone like me at my age of 18 to actually um, hear those stories and think, that could be me one day. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think, you know, you can talk about the stats around homelessness. You can talk about all the issues that affect homelessness homelessness but to have someone in the studio telling their story and mm. hearing how easy it is to happen is um it really brings it to home. yeah i can't believe the bravery with doing that and the journey that he's been on to get to where he is as a peer supporter in the field of homelessness and it is such an issue for our community 25 percent of people out there that are homeless are from our community the glbti community so we should support them as we do yeah I think. absolutely certainly and we thank ben very much for coming and we, we also need to thank um a couple of other people. Yes, indeed. Um, Peter Hindle from Agenda Agenda and, of course, Andrew Potts, uh, who gave us the International News Roundup. Always good for, for, to hear from him. This has been Gay News Week, but unfortunately, that's all we've got time for tonight. Thanks to, of course, our technical producer, Matt Nock. Yes. And also, if uh, throughout the week you want to suggest topics, email gaynewsweek at joy.org.au Something like that. <laughs> I'll take over from here. Go on. And, of course, we're on social media, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash Gay Newsweek Joy 949 or Twitter at Gay Newsweek Joy. But until next week, we are Katie Larson, Jeffrey Devine, and myself, Matt Thompson, and this has been Gay Newsweek.
You've been listening to Gay Newsweek. Check out joy.org.au slash gaynewsweek for all of the links on how you can keep up to date with the team on social media. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday from 7pm right here on Joy 94.9. Want to know what's going on in our diverse community? Tune in to Joy's range of current affairs programs. 7pm Mondays, Generation Next. Tuesdays at 7, Salt and Pepper. 7pm Wednesdays, Gay Newsweek. And Thursdays from midday... On the line. Thursdays at 7 p.m., Rainbow Report. Then again on Saturdays from 10 to midday, Saturday Magazine. And across the week, the Community Network News Team bring you the Joy 94.9 GLBTIQ News Wrap. A look back at the news of the week in our community. Yes, we have one of the longest running in house news services on community radio, bringing you the latest every morning, midday, and evening. Be informed and empowered through your news and current affairs lineup on the gayest station in the nation. Joy. 94.9. To find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.